Welcome back to the KPO podcast. Listeners, this week I have author, local author, Jan Jacoby, and he is here to tell us about Lincoln and Springfield. His latest novel is it's going to be a five-part series, but the first novel was Young Lincoln, and we're going to be talking about Lincoln and Springfield. And from what I understand, you have won the Nautilus Award for both books now. That's right, Jakisha. Yes, that's unusual. Yes, something that I was able to uh, to do. Congratulations and welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks. I, the, both books also won what's called the Best of Illinois History Award by the Illinois State Historical Society. And that's important, too, because uh, that means that the historical aspects of these books are accurate. Yes, that's extremely important. So to jump in, tell us about Lincoln and Springfield and the approach that you've taken, because it's, it's written in first person. That's absolutely right. That started with Young Lincoln, and uh, it continues in Lincoln and Springfield. Uh, the first book took Lincoln through his childhood in Kentucky, his uh, teenage years in Indiana, and his young adulthood in Illinois in New Salem. And Lincoln and Springfield picks it up from there and takes him to Springfield in 1837, where he begins his law career, continues his political career, and uh, courts uh, Mary Todd, uh, they break off their relationship and then ultimately reconnect. Uh, the first person uh, part of doing this uh, has been uh, really quite popular with, with young people. I, I teach, I'm a middle school teacher all my life, and my seventh and eighth graders really feel that Lincoln telling the story gives them a uh, feeling for him that the history books don't. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I know a lot of young adult novels are written in first person, but I did get that same sense because a lot of what I know about Lincoln is about his presidency and not so much about his life as a young man, as a young lawyer working in Springfield. That's right. Uh, that's uh, Again, I've had adults read both these books and they say, wow, there are things about Lincoln that I didn't uh, even know, even though I thought I knew it all. Mm-hmm. So how did you go about doing the research for this? Are there primary documents available for this time period for Lincoln? Yes, the uh, young Lincoln uh, is the, the primary documents that are available are the papers that William Herndon, Lincoln's third law partner, uh, collected after the assassination. Uh, Herndon went around to uh, anybody who knew Lincoln in Kentucky, Indiana, and Illinois. And uh, there were interviews, there were letters, there were uh, statements that people made about Lincoln. Now, the problem with that material is it's 30 years past when they actually knew him. Not many of them, although some are from the, the Illinois political years and the presidency. Uh, but that's the primary material for the for the young Lincoln. Now, when you get to Lincoln and Springfield, your sources can be newspapers, diaries, journals, all those kinds of things. Uh, and then I do use uh, what I would call our selective uh, secondary sources. Mm -hmm. So how did you go about making the decision on what to include and what not to include? <laughs> well, that's a huge one, and it gets yeah. harder as, as you go on. Well, uh, Jagisha, I'd, I'd say, first of all, I'm trying to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there's some things that lend themselves, some aspects of his life that lend it more to uh, a story uh, and uh, some that are a little bit uh, more, uh, I, I would say, not as interesting. So, you know, I take uh, what I think are the truffles among the mushrooms, which is what uh, a Lincoln scholar Bob Bray advised me to do. 
Yeah, so I found it interesting. So I think it's the first chapter where you have the story about the shoemaker and Lincoln and his his group run out to help him out or not to help the shoemaker, but to help the wife. And I found it interesting, Lincoln's perspective, I guess, his mindset that you're portraying there. Absolutely. Uh, at that point, it's not always true of him, but he really takes the leadership role. And they look to him, uh, they mm -hmm. say, what can we do? And he leads them uh, in uh, basically pulling the uh, abusive uh, husband off of off his wife, tying him to a uh, uh, a horse uh, pole, and and then having the wife uh, beat him uh, mm -hmm. with a whip. And and, uh, and Lincoln's perspective at the end is. Uh, by doing this, uh, he says to her, he will not uh, attack you again. And that actually turns out to be true. Wow. See, now this is an aspect of Lincoln I didn't know about. Uh, another thing that you've mentioned or that's in the book is that Lincoln and Douglas spent a lot of time together. I guess I always assumed that they were the debates and they were political opponents, but that they had somewhat of a friendship. That's absolutely right. They met in the state legislature in 1836. And uh, and uh, that all, as you know, from from reading it, it centers around uh, the store that Lincoln's good friend Joshua Speed uh, was uh, part owner of and clerked in. When Lincoln came to Springfield, uh, he wondered where he would stay. He had no real plans. And he just kind of uh, bumps into Joshua Speed, who actually becomes his best friend and probably in his life, the person to whom Abraham Lincoln is closest. Mm -hmm. uh, Joshua Speed and Speed has this uh, fireplace in the store, and and people who congregate around it are Stephen Douglas and Lincoln, uh, Edward Baker, uh, and John Hardin, all of whom become very accomplished uh, leaders and politicians. Yeah, it's it's uh, fascinating. I always find it fascinating to see, especially politicians as young men, and just to get that sort of backstory of what shaped them later on down the line. And especially for someone like Lincoln, he seems you sort of have you put him on a pedestal in a way, I think, because of what we've learned throughout history. But there's just so many nuances to him that I don't think I realized. Um, and right. I don't think uh, people have uh, much of an understanding that Lincoln could be very sarcastic, very cutting, and really quite uh, scathing of mm -hmm. political opponents uh, to the point where uh, his friend said, look, you know, some of that stuff's pretty normal uh, in our lives, our political lives on the frontier in the 1840s. But uh, you're, you're past the line. And uh, Speed really takes him through that and says, uh, you need to apologize to this person that you actually reduced to tears. Yeah, yeah. And then also the, um, I guess it's misinformation that he started posting in the, uh, in the uh, Sangamo. Hmm. The, uh, so about, for example, General Adams, I think was, was one of the more interesting stories because he was running against his partner for state legislator and uh, some of the things that Lincoln printed about him. Yes, they did uh, anonymous letters. Now that was pretty standard fare back then, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, his are particularly uh, virulent, you would say. They're, they're pretty tough. And, uh, and the one to uh, General Shields ultimately gets him into a duel or challenge of a duel and, and ultimately into a duel itself, which uh, fortunately both of them backed down from. 
<laughs> yes. But unfortunately, I think because of what he was doing, he uh, his partner lost the election too. Just it sort of backfired. Yes. Yeah, so, well, that's actually his partner is as uh, as John Todd Stewart. But you're right, Doctor Henry is his very close friend. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. And it does. Yeah. No. The when Lincoln attacks uh, General Adams uh, anonymously, uh, it uh, causes people to be uh, more sympathetic to the general, and and he does beat Doctor Henry. So another interesting aspect of this was was in Chapter Five when Lincoln is comparing himself to Macbeth. And wondering, does does he see himself as Macbeth? Yes, that is something that that's the fun part of writing fiction. Now, now there is a story in Joseph Jefferson's autobiography of the famous actor that they took their players to Springfield. They were denied. Well, they were actually allowed to perform, but the licensing fee was such that they couldn't really make any money. Mm-hmm. And so Lincoln, uh, Joseph Jefferson, has Lincoln go to the town council and convince them that this is not fair. He does. And then he and Joshua Speed, as a conjecture, uh, would get free tickets to uh, the, the performance of Macbeth. In all likelihood, uh, in the frontier, uh, there were players that came through that would have per- portrayed scenes from Macbeth, and that's what Lincoln might have seen. But I speculate that they saw the entire performance. And uh, yes, and Lincoln really is spooked by Macbeth's uh, ambition. And uh, they talk to that. Uh, he's that's an important scene that he and Joshua Speed uh, talk about all that. Mm-hmm. So at this point in his life, how what was Lincoln's view on slavery? Well, that's in the in. Uh, thank you for asking that question, Jagisha, because that's an excellent one. Uh, if you look at the preface uh, to the book, you'll see that there is a letter that Lincoln wrote to uh, Speed's sister, uh, Mary Speed, and and it uh, on the surface would seem that this is a very uh, strong position against slavery, and and yet if you look at the last part of that letter, he's almost clinical in saying that these slaves, uh, Speed and Lincoln, are traveling down the uh, Ohio River on a steamboat, and and they're uh, slaves that are being uh, transported to sail in the South. And Lincoln looks at them and says, well, they're they're dancing and playing cards and uh, singing, and these people seem to be the happiest people on this ship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Later on, he says that that scene uh, was the source of his hatred of slavery, uh, and and I, I somewhat question that, to tell you the truth. Uh, he, as you know, in the story, uh, takes a case where he defends a uh, slave owner uh, who is trying to recover his runaway slaves. Lincoln tries to help him recover them. Uh, for which uh, later in the end of the book, uh, the abolitionist Joshua Giddings—they're both in Congress holds him to uh, to the fire on. He says, you know, why did you take that case? Lincoln says, I'm a lawyer. That was my duty. And Gidding says, now, wait a minute. Uh, I am a lawyer as well, and I would never have taken that case. So uh, I think the answer to all this is that Lincoln's position on slavery evolves. It grows slowly. It's uh, There are, uh, there's some evidence, I think, historically that uh, he was uh, not the great emancipator in his early years. Mm-hmm. 
that was the same sort of sense that I got too, was that it's something that came down later on. So did his, um, the cases that he took on, did that affect the type of politician he became later on and also his, his stance on, on slavery? Uh, well, the, the Matson case would be the one uh, that would be the major one, but uh, he, uh, I think several things are factors in, in changing it. Uh, I think one is that uh, he does have relationships with African-Americans. Uh, this is in book three, but he has a very close relationship to an African-American barber in Springfield. And in fact, some people think that other than uh, Joshua Speed, that uh, uh, Billy the Barber is Lincoln's closest friend. <laughs> they're, they're very close. and mm -hmm. uh, But he has a lot to overcome. Uh, mm -hmm. The frontier, particularly in Illinois, where he was in the lower parts of Illinois, it's southern influence there. In the middle part, it's kind of half and half. The upper, upper part is more people came from New England and is a little bit more progressive. But uh, he has some uh, some. Uh, and he's got some background that he has to work through that is, uh, I, I would say, somewhat ne negrophobic. Oh, okay. Again, surprising. <laughs> right. Well, that's again, it's his background more than he, and then Lincoln probably told jokes that involved the N-word, and uh, it was he was a creature of the frontier, mm -hmm. which is clearly, I mean, if you look at uh, Huck Finn, I teach Huck Finn, and I love teaching it because Essentially, in that book, Mark Twain is showing you a racist society, and, and it is on the frontier. Mark Twain probably sets it in about the early 1850s, because uh, Huck Finn is subject to the Fugitive Slave Law. But but the fact is that uh, this was a, uh, a racist uh, environment in which Lincoln grew up. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then, so one of the things I love is, is the cover of your book. Um, I love the, you know, the description early on with with the pigs in the in the uh, the front as Lincoln is coming into Springfield. I actually lived in Springfield in the in the 2000s, and um, so it, it the Capitol building pretty much is is similar still, at least the the exterior is. That's right. No, uh, the cover is done by an artist named Ed Kaler, and he did the cover for Lincoln and Springfield. Uh, excuse me, Young Lincoln and Lincoln and Springfield. In fact, it's a when I uh, am out there selling the books, the the covers attract uh, people to them, which which is a really lovely uh, thing. Springfield uh, is a, I've uh, really has become my second home, and I've really just enjoyed so much the people there and the. Uh, institutions there and all of the i would say the lincoln community has really been wonderful to me i have a couple of lincoln scholars robert bray and michael burlingame who have been so generous with their uh time and their uh they're really uh critiquing uh, the stories that i'm writing absolutely i think one of my favorite places to visit in springfield is the lincoln museum and uh, just going through the exhibits, uh, one of the ones is the the cabin where he grew up, and mm -hmm. then later on um, his uh, presidency and sort of the whole aspect of his presidency as he's trying to be the be the president and deal with the Civil War. Right. I, that's absolutely. Again, I should emphasize that that these books, uh, Young Lincoln, was written for middle school students. Uh, I'm a middle school teacher, and then. As you get further in, book two, Lincoln and Springfield, that's the one we're talking about. It's a little deeper. 
a little uh, more grown up, so to speak. And so that's really for uh, maybe eighth graders and on into high school. Uh, and that, right, there'll be five of these. The, the one I'm working on now is the 1850s, and then there'll be two books for when he's president. So is there, are they all going to continue in the same first person direction? That's the idea. <laughs> That's the idea. We'll we'll carry them through. But thank you for the question about how do how do I choose the things to use because uh, I'm writing the one in the 1850s is really tough. There's there's just so much there, and mm-hmm. what do you concentrate on? On the other hand, things fall into your lap, which is that the first chapter will probably be about the uh, death of their first the, their child that died, the first one to die, and that's Eddie in Springfield in 1850 of tuberculosis. And and both Abraham and Mary, and Molly, as he calls her, are obviously brokenhearted by that. Mm-hmm. I mean, his tragedy just stalks Lincoln throughout his life. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to start writing about Lincoln? Good question. I, I'm from New York. And when I came out here to St. Louis, I came in 1982 to St. Louis Country Day School and which became uh, MICDS. And then after that, I taught at St. Michael's School, where, where I'm teaching now in uh, in Clayton. Uh, and uh, just, uh, I realized when I came here that I was an hour and a half from the Lincoln sites. Mm-hmm. So actually I took uh, some people, uh, some of the students up there on a field trip. And when we were there, uh, and when we got back, they said, uh, can you recommend a book for us on Lincoln? And I said, well, you know, I really can't because there isn't one written for middle schoolers. In the old days, there were landmark books and those kind of historical things for, for younger readers. But uh, there really wasn't much. And so I said, you should try and write it. Uh, well, I did. And it uh, took three years. And it was awful. <laughs> My publisher in St. Louis turned it down not once but twice. And that's when uh, Josh Stevens at Reedy Press and my daughter, who is a writer, they were having lunch. And they said, well, there's wonderful stuff in this book, but it's not getting out. And it's not story is not really getting out. And so they came to me and I said, you should try it first person. And I said, who could pretend to be Abraham Lincoln? But I will say when I, I wrote it in the Clayton Library, uh, and when I walked in there and started writing uh, the things uh, of, in Lincoln's voice, the, the whole project uh, changed, uh, I think, somewhat magically. Uh, it's it's uh, It comes pretty naturally to, to me now. Mm-hmm. Yes, you you definitely have the voice established, I think. So you get the you get the sense of it from the two books. Well, thank you. So what do you hope readers take away from the books? So as you're going through each book, I imagine by the time you get to the fifth book, will be it might be different, but what do you hope at least this far in? Well, I hope that uh, readers get a sense of Lincoln's complexity mm-hmm. and of his ultimate goodness. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to make a saint of him, but this is a good man and uh, a good person uh, so so that's important. But I think that the the, the hard times that he lived through, uh, uh, he has uh, depression, and it comes probably from loss. Uh, his mother, when he was seven, uh, or actually nine, his uh, sister in childbirth uh, when he was in his 
late teens, early 20s, and then uh, the uh, death of Anne Rutledge, who was his uh, very serious uh, girlfriend in New Salem. Mm-hmm. On up to the death of Eddie, as I told you about. Uh, and uh, he fails often. Uh, he's from his background, he, he thinks holds him back. Uh, he uh, ultimately, when he competes with people like Stephen Douglas and others, I mean, he just feels he's uh, losing the race of ambition. So it, it's um, it's not an easy life. And, and yet that's the thing uh, that I want to my younger readers to really get a sense of is that you can deal with all this uh, tough stuff and come through it and be a better person. Uh, and so I, I hope they they learn that. Definitely. Very well said. Yeah. I mean, I would say definitely in Lincoln and Springfield, I, I, get, the compl- I get the sense of his complexity for sure. And so I hope that the younger readers can see that too. Well, you're very kind as well. So one last question that we ask uh, many of our guests is what are you reading and or what do you recommend we read? Oh, such a good one. Uh, I'm actually, here's one for you that I'm teaching that I don't know that you you all know about. I hope you do, but it's called Touching Spirit Bear by a fellow by the name of Ben Michelson. Uh, Ben Michelson's book actually won the Nautilus Prize uh, in 2002, I think. and that encouraged me to submit my books uh, to Nautilus, and and I am just uh, so happy that they've they've been seen. They're the equivalent of Touching Spirit. Mm-hmm. A Touching Spirit Bear is is a book ultimately about redemption, uh, but boy, <laughs> you got to get through a lot before you get anywhere near that. Uh, it's a uh, and and it uh, it's probably I've been taught for long, long time. And it's it's one of my books that I choose that, that uh, really reaches uh, middle school students and high school students, too. I, I could tell you about it, but it's, uh, you know, there's spoiler alerts uh, with, with that. I also, uh, before too long, will be teaching To Kill a Mockingbird. And and I love Huck Finn. I, I, how can you be in Missouri and not have kids in mm-hmm. school with Tom Sawyer and, and Mark Twain? Um in my own own reading, uh, what am I doing now? Oh, I'm reading, uh, I'm rereading the Odyssey, Emily Wilson's translation, because at the same time, I'm reading a book by Daniel Mendelssohn called mm-hmm. Odyssey, which is about his relationship with his father, and and to an extent, the Odyssey is a father son relationship. I read, read read Hamlet often. Hamlet has a role, and you're good enough to see that. Uh, Macbeth uh, is an, uh, a thread that goes through Lincoln's like, book. Hamlet will be the thread that goes through book three. Can you imagine wow. Abraham, imagine okay. Abraham Lincoln going to a, a performance of Hamlet and hearing the time is out of joint. Oh, cursed spite that ever I was born to set it right. Yeah, it's pretty haunting to think of Lincoln. Yeah. Up. He, he did have a fatalistic streak, and I think he saw himself to some extent as uh, fated to uh, have something important go on in his life. That's fascinating. Wow. Uh, and such a great list. So K- To Kill a Mockingbird is one of my all-time favorite books. <laughs> so, And also Mark Twain. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, what, what do you do at the library? I work in the reference department. So... Uh- 
So that's why I always ask about primary documents. That was why, why it was one of my first questions. <laughs> well, well, let me also uh, give a shout out to the Kirkwood Library, which when we did uh, Young Lincoln, uh, I was so warmly welcomed uh, by Ryan Drinkard. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a lot, large number of people there, which we hope we'll get this time too. You're very kind. Uh, but I was so impressed by the library itself and by the staff and by its commitment to uh, encouraging young readers and uh, people to keep reading. Gosh knows, I hope it's not becoming a lost art. Absolutely not. I mean, if our numbers are any indication, people still love books. <laughs> well, that's so great. And you guys do a, a terrific job. And I'm uh, honored to be coming to the Kirkwood Library. That's right, listeners. So Jan Jacoby will be here and he will be telling us all about Lincoln and Springfield. So if you want to know more, please join us. Thank you, Jagish. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. That's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. And a special thanks to Jan Jacoby for taking the time to be on the podcast. He will be at the Kirkwood Public Library giving an author talk on Saturday, October 29th at 11 a.m. I hope to see you there. I'd like to leave you on a quote by Abraham Lincoln, of course. You cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. We'll see you next week.